you know, people are going to hate me for saying this, but I just, I feel like a lot of times we just want people to tell us that us not achieving or us not doing is okay. We're always looking for somebody to make an excuse. You know, if I can't do something, oh, I need to go talk to somebody to clear my head or I need to go find this pill because it'll fix it or I need to get on this special diet because it'll handle the fact that it, you know, it all comes back to you, man. Like people have a lot more control over their own lives than they want to admit. But we are always looking for someone else to tell us it's not our fault or it's somebody else's responsibility. You have full responsibility for your own life. And I think that's just a symptom of the bigger problem that we're always looking for somebody to solve our own problems for us, not ourselves. Like if I get in an argument with somebody and number one, I'm perpetuating that argument because I'm keeping it going. But number two, what did I say to them to motivate that argument? What did I do to them to motivate that argument? And I think a lot of times we don't think about how much responsibility we have on things. Like you could have an attitude in the way you say something and then you start an argument with somebody. Look at that. Or you could have taken more responsibility for something and that person may not have been angry with you. I think it's just a, a symptom of a wider problem. We're always looking for a doctor to prescribe us something or we're always looking for somebody to tell us it's okay. And I think a lot of times it comes back to taking full responsibility for yourself and your life. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter, and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. This episode is about doing what others don't, but value, but they want to. There's also another recording from almost two years ago, so you get to hear early versions of my technique. We start talking about what sounds like oranges and how we eat oranges, or how I eat oranges, but we're talking about leadership, doing what others value, but often don't figure out ways to do. And what I talk about may sound weird at first, but Americans are starting to eat bugs. I mean, I've seen crickets on sale and people eating them. Turning healthy food into two unhealthy foods, as I describe in the podcast, that starts to look pretty weird to me, even though when we talk about what I do eat sounded weird to me before I started doing it. Acting on your environmental values often feels weird at first, but we have to change our behavior if we expect to avert the greatest disasters that could happen. Everyone I know says at some point, you shouldn't care so much about what other people think, but then they succumb to the same social pressures and keep doing what everyone else does, oftentimes leading to the earth being in a state where it can't support life and human societies like it did before. Leaders find ways to do what they value. If you value clean air, clean water, clean land, you'll have to lead others. Leadership overlaps with sales, athletics, and other topics that we cover. So without further ado, here's Jeremy Ryan Slate. So welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Josh Spodak. I'm here with Jeremy Ryan Slate. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great today, Josh. We actually were just hanging out a couple of days ago in New York. So it's uh, nice to actually be on your show now. Yeah. So we met, through, was it through Daniel? It was through Daniel. And then you were on my show. And then the other night you were telling me the best way to eat an orange. Yeah, so I, I, it's exactly where I wanted to go with this. <laughs> so you and I have known each other for a couple months now, but we met in person through a friend visiting from out of town. And it turned, I didn't realize how close we lived together, even though I did know you were, from, you were in New Jersey. And so when we were there, there was some food and there were some oranges. 
And I talked about how I, when I eat oranges, I eat the whole orange, including the peel. Well, I often spit out the seeds. And then since then, another guy who was there wrote me and said, oh, so, or someone else was like, you mentioned that I eat the, eat them, eat the peel as well. I'm curious, what's, I think this is a big leadership issue as well as an environment issue that you could ignore it if you want and not think about it. But I think it's really, I think there's a lot of stuff here. Do you mind if we talk about this issue for a bit? Sure, man. Let, let's, let's talk about the orange issue. <laughs> okay. So, and I also want to put it in context. Everyone should go, first of all, everyone should go to listen to Jeremy's podcast. And I'm, I might suggest starting with episode 266, which is the one with me. And <laughs> in the beginning of it, you talk about like, you're like, what's the beer? Dos Equis has like the world's most interesting man. And you keep saying, I'm like really interesting. And I'm very flattered by that. And it's very connected to this orange thing. So when we were talking about the oranges and I started saying that I ate the orange peel, what, what did you think? What was that like to you? Um, I, don't know, I just, my first thought was, man, that's, that's a little bit weird. I, I don't think I'd ever eat an orange peel, <laughs> but then, but then, you know, that's what you use for scent and you use it for a lot of different things. So I, I guess in some ways I could see it, but here's the funnier part. It made me think of, oh man, you need cinnamon with that. I don't know why, but the huh. first thing I thought about was orange peel. You need cinnamon with that. You know, in, in like a mulled wine, I guess you might put in some orange, including the peel, and then you put some cinnamon in. And in a sangria, you'll put in the orange with the peel. And so the flavors, including the peel, will get in there too. Did you watch the video by any chance? I'm going to claim ignorance on it and say I did not watch it yet. Oh, okay. So yesterday was our, our wedding anniversary. So I had, had, had my wife all over the place. We went to a Broadway show. 1984, which wasn't what I expected, but it was still pretty good. Oh, man. Well, congratulations and uh, happy anniversary. Thank you. Much appreciated, man. So, all right, I'm going to tell you why I made a video. I hope I'm not breaking a, a, one of the cardinal rules of, of making the other person the, the feature of the, of the conversation. But I want to get your reaction because most people, I don't know, I guess I don't really get to talk to people much about it who are, who are thoughtful and have audiences because most people, I think, all right, I told you that the, the orange peel, whether you believe it or not, has most of the vitamin C. There's more vitamin C in the peel than in the inside of the orange. And virtually all of the fiber of an orange is in the peel. Mm. And it's totally edible. And there are lots of places where people eat it. But in the United States, people don't eat orange peel except under certain condition. They eat candied orange peels when they cover it in chocolate or sometimes they'll soak it in vodka. Do you drink orange juice? I... I'm on that like whole slow carb diet thing where I don't do, um, I do like under, under a hundred carbs six days a week. So I don't do anything with like a fruit sugar or anything in it just cause, um, I'm trying, I'm doing it more for like fitness purposes. So I, at this point in time, no, I don't drink orange juice. So you've learned that it's unhealthy. So much sugar. That's kind of the big thing. Like your body isn't meant to have that much sugar in a single serving. Yeah. And so we take a fruit that on its own is healthy fruit. And we split it into two parts. We take the juice and we serve it and it ends up being a sugary, unhealthy beverage. You know, and it's been marketed as being a, you know, a nutritional part of this healthy breakfast, but it's not, it's just a sugar. It's, it's nutritionally, it's basically like drinking soda. Yeah. And then we take the peel, which is full of fiber and full of vitamin C, and we cover it in sugar and chocolate or alcohol. And we take an, a healthy fruit and turn it into two unhealthy foods. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy that we just get rid of the nutritional part of it. Yeah. And or we, we cover it up. And I think people know not to drink orange juice, but then they peel an orange and they eat the inside. 
that's basically the same as drinking as drinking orange juice. I don't think people realize that if you eat the inside, it's still basically just having orange juice. The, but wouldn't it be bitter though? That would be my first thought. Like, isn't the peel like really bitter? Yes, but I think a lot of people, when you get an orange, you tend to get the oranges that are easy to peel mm. because you're anticipating throwing away the peel. And so there's a lot of peel, like the, those thick ones, the ones with the thick peel. Yeah, there's a lot of peel that doesn't taste very good. But if you get the juice oranges or the ones with the thin peel, those have very little peel and there's not much bitterness to them. And something that happens after you have a lot of orange peels and we eat orange with the peel on it is that you start finding the inside part is too sweet on its own. That's been my impression. It's just sweetness. It's got orange flavor too, but it's, it's really sweet. And then when you combine it with the peel, it gives it a more texture. It gives it more, it's more interesting to me. And why do people eat the peel when they have the candied orange peel? Because it's, it has all the, the people put all the sugar on it. Well, the orange already has sugar in it. So it's just like having candied orange peel, except less sugar than like just pure sugar. And it's, they naturally fit together pretty well. That's interesting. I, I, I feel like as humans, we have to have that sugar. We just don't feel so good about, about what we're eating. <laughs> but the way that I framed the video that I made is, is everyone out there, it's healthy to eat the orange peel. You got to wash it and if, it's, if it's not like, uh, if, if there might be pesticides on it. So you got to wash it. But then if you eat it with the peel, you, people do eat orange peel. It's just now you're not doing it with all the chocolate and sugar and fat on it. You're eating it with the juice from the inside. And so most people, when you look at it that way, okay, it's not so crazy to eat orange peel, but the reason they don't want to do it is because, or is that they don't want other people seeing them. A lot of times, like I, if I talk to people, they're like, yeah, because they don't outright say it, but if I kind of make them feel comfortable sharing it, then they'll say like, yeah, I, I'm afraid if people see them, I think I'm weird. But if they eat it with chocolate and sugar on it, they don't think that they're weird. I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I'd really care what, what people would think about me like eating it because I just kind of have learned I don't really give a crap about what people, what people think. It's more like my first thought would be, mm, it's bitter. I don't know if I want to eat that. But now that you're telling me that it's because of those larger peeling oranges, I might, I might give it a shot and, and see, see how it is. And this, my friend, is leadership. <laughs> <laughs> and I apologize for going off in crazy directions for a while. But the reason I made that video was so that people who think like, maybe I'll try it. Now they can say someone else did it and I don't have to be, if someone says you're weird for doing it, they can say, well, actually this guy, Josh did it first and he's a weird one. And I'm just doing what someone else has already done. Makes it a heck of a lot easier, man. That's why I did it. But also, you know, in talking about leadership, a lot of people shy away from doing stuff that other people wouldn't do. You're advanced based on what you said. Like you, I think it's not that you don't care what other people think, but you, you know that other people might think weird things of you, but you're like, that's okay. I think. Yeah, no, it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's kind of like this. It's like, would I have cared five years ago? Yes. But, you know, since I've, I've done a lot of things that my upbringing wouldn't find socially acceptable since then, I've kind of learned not to give a crap. Um, because I think a lot of times that's what stops us from, from doing a lot of things. Because, you know, by background, I'm from a, a small town where, where nobody really does all that much. And if you step out of line, it's kind of like, oh, what's that guy doing? So I've kind of had to learn to not really care, man, or you're just not really going to achieve. Now, I'd really like to learn more about that because you're younger than I am. And it took, I was older than you when, before I got any hint of that. And it's partly why I put a video like that up because I want to make stuff like that more accessible to people so that they can either not care what other people think, or I think it's more like know what other people think and care about it, but not let that get them down. Is it something that you were born? Okay, you, you grew up in one context and you grew from that or how did you 
how did you get where you are from there? Um, it's kind of interesting because I guess like I was a kid growing up that I, I was always somebody that tried to do things differently. So I was picked on a lot as a kid and stuff like that. So I kind of had to, to learn that if I was going to do anything, I was going to have to not really care. And I, my, by background, I had my master's in, in history and the, the plan was to teach in college and it just didn't really work out. I ended up teaching in high school. And it wasn't from there. It was kind of from there that I ended up jumping into entrepreneurship. My first jump was into to network marketing, which my wife was introduced to. And I saw this presentation. I'm like, man, I'm going to be rich. It didn't work like that. But I do think that doing a business like that for a year or two is like a great way to get over rejection because you're going to get rejected a lot by everyone and you're going to stop caring very quickly what people think about you or you're not going to do very well. And I did pretty well in that business though. I just kind of found for myself, it wasn't something that I could do forever. So I did it for like three years and it was kind of like, all right, on to the next thing. But it was a great training ground because I kind of learned, you know, who supported me, who wasn't going to show up to a meeting. Like you learn to deal with a lot of rejection and you also learn to deal like with numbers, because I think a lot of times we pick up the phone and if somebody doesn't pick up on the other end, we get really upset. But when you're picking up the phone, because um, right after that, I sold life insurance. When you're picking up the phone 150 times in a day and you're really grateful that 10 or 15 people pick up the phone, you learn to not, deal, you know, you learn to, to not take rejection all that hard. So I think it's really, for me, it was the fact that I had to do some, some sales positions that are very difficult sales positions. To, that, that really helped me to not care because you just kind of train it out of yourself, you know? Of all the things that you've learned, how does this rank of the ability to make these calls? And, and you know, I think is resilient a good word here to say that to, you know, handle what people throw at you or what they might think of you. Is it like one of the most important skills? Is it not that important? Is it, where does it rank? To me, it's the number one skill because you need to be willing to confront a lot of situations that people are going to run away from. Um, you know, if there's a customer service issue, I pick up the phone right away. If there's any sort of an issue, I'm going to call somebody right away because I just don't care. I want to handle the problem. I want to handle what's going on. I want to communicate to somebody. And I think a lot of times because of, you know, social training or whatever it is, we just, we, we can't do it. So to me, that is the number one most important skill that you can learn is just not caring what people think about you. And a lot of times we, we take it personally. And it's not us, it's either whatever it is that we're working on or whatever opportunity it is, or it even maybe somebody's just, it may be their own kind of baggage they're carrying of why they're looking at you a certain way. So you got, you've got to understand that, not to take it personally, you know? I hear it, and most of the time I'm really good at it. And every now and then someone says something, I know they're not talking about me, or they're, you know, it's, it's me, but not really. And man, it hurts. And so, okay, so that's how valuable it is. How hard was it to learn? How to, how... Of all the things you've learned, was it like the hardest to learn or was it, maybe it was exciting to learn? Oh my gosh, it, it, Josh, it was the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Like, like, it's easy to say now, hey, don't care what people think about you, but going through that process was not fun. When I started that network marketing business, I lost most of my friends, man. So you, you very quickly learn, wow, okay, you know, you're gonna, there's gonna be some, some suffering here to get through this. But I think a lot of times people give up in that process and it's kind of seeing yourself through the process and realizing, you know, it's not going to be fun, but you know, the other side can be quite rewarding if you're willing to stick something out. So it was, it was the scariest thing I've ever done having to learn how to deal with rejection. But I, I think achieving in anything can be scary at first, but you, ha you have to really be able to, to deal with the process and come out the other side. 
Yeah, it's so that's what people say. And if a lot of people, they, they face it. I mean, we love to hang around the people who make it through that. And some people don't make it through. It, like, what fraction of, of people do you think even try? And of the people who try, how many people do you think make it through or what fraction? Wow. I, I'd say just in general, like it, that's, it's so tough because I would say like maybe 20% of people are, actually have the staying power to make it through something like that. Mm-hmm. And then I would say- yeah, if they even try at all, you know what I mean? Because that's the main thing with a lot of people is they're afraid to even try. And, you know, you're, you're definitely going to fail if you don't try. But I, I think the staying power, like, the, you know, the, the way of being persistent on a given course is very difficult for a lot of people. And if you, can, if you can be persistent a lot of times, you know, just being stupidly persistent can actually help you achieve because most people will give up. Yeah, it's, it's funny that you said you'll definitely fail if you don't try. And I think the reason people don't try in the first place is because they don't want to fail, not realizing this irony that they are failing because they're not trying, but they're not feeling the failure, but they are failing. They want, yeah. I think they want to avoid that feeling. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the biggest things. Because for me, like you sometimes have to learn not to think in feelings, right? Like a lot of times we want to react to something, how our first initial feeling is on something. And that's why for me, it's kind of like, all right, well, go take a walk, go do something else, get away from the problem right now before you make a decision. Because you know what? You will make the wrong decision or you will quit on something because of how it feels. Sometimes you have to get further away from the emotion so that you can make an actual rational decision on things. It's so hard to do sometimes. Oh, dude, it's so hard. And you know, this conversation we're having now reminds me of something that I learned from one of my business school professors. One of the students asked, and this is, so this is Columbia Business School. It's all like these really highly ranked people. And someone says, what's the best route to CEO? And this guy was one of the top ranked leadership professors at the school. So what's the best route to get to CEO? Actually, do you, what do you, and they're talking about a corporate environment. We're more entrepreneurial, but in a corporate environment, of course, entrepreneurially start your company. Uh, yeah. And if you're working for some big multinational Fortune 100 company or something, do you know what the best of all the routes that you can go through, like product development or whatever, what's the best route to CEO? What's the most common, where CEOs most come from? Any idea? I, I don't know, but I'd love to hear. Sales. So Really? More, see, according to him, and I haven't looked this up independently, but according to him, more CEOs come up through sales than any, than any other. And now, as I've thought about it since then, it makes a lot of sense. Like, does it make sense to you why that would be? Well, you got you to learn a lot more people skills and you've got to kind of learn to, to deal with a lot more crap. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think exactly what we're talking about is like they have to learn more about how to influence people, how to listen to people, how to... I think the influence and persuasion is a big piece of it, is probably mm. the biggest piece of it. Yeah. Another big piece of it is you have to... You're going to interact with the customers. So you're going to find out what's going on in the world. And you're going to deal directly with the customers and, uh, and their impressions with the product. So I think sales really puts you out there in the front, in the front line. Yeah, you know, no, it, it absolutely does. And so when you're talking about all the, it sounds like you're doing a bunch of cold calling and a bunch of sales and a bunch of dealing with people and, and people coming back to you. So um, what do you call it? Like follow-up? Management, which I think of like is pretty close to sales. Like you're probably right in the thick of things, like probably CEO bound. I yeah. I, oh, sorry. It, no, I was going to say, I just, I, I think like problem solving is massive because the thing is, is you have to, you, you have to be able, especially with clients, like you have to be able to find a solution that makes everybody happy. And sometimes that's very difficult. So you have to be able to, to kind of walk that fine line as well. Yeah. And you're going to, it's going to be social and emotional skills to get you there. I mean, if you work in engineering, you have problems to solve too, but they're abstract and it's not, you know, as, as difficult as engineering is, if you're doing something 
like the product, it's not an emotional thing that you're working on. Usually it's like, if you're developing software or you're building a breadboard or something like that, it's not changing in the way that humans change and reacting to you in the way that humans do. That's like so much more challenging in my experience. And I got to tell you, sure. the moment, no, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. And at the moment when he said that it's the route is through sales, there's a room, probably 60 students in the room. And there's like picture, like the whole room just feeling deflated because in the MBA world, everybody thinks sales is what those people do. Everyone wants to be like, they all think that they have this track to leadership that's through going through some, you know, this rotation at the leadership position and they'll like go up to the top and the salespeople, they're like the sleazy people. That's the view there, but they don't get that how valuable it is. In fact, the sales class at Second Business School is like one of the most valuable classes that I took. I can't believe that it's not a required class. And most people didn't get how important it is. No, absolutely. Because like, especially like just, I'm going to go back to dealing with rejection. Like if you can learn how to deal with that, you can learn how to deal with so many things in life. And I think really sales is the only way you're going to get that. I humbly suggest also eating oranges. <laughs> in a public place, of course, you know. Well, you know, that was my way of catching up with people like you that, you know, sometimes to protect yourself, you kind of have to put it out there to say like, to do it more boldly. I'm not ready yet to just do it and not care. I still have to make a big thing of it so that people can see that like, I'm proud of it. I'm, it's, it's a crutch, I guess. Yeah. Actually, you, do, you did something similar. On your web, one of your web pages, there's mm-hmm. a picture of someone posing uh, very muscular. And when I met you in person, I see that you're very muscular. Is that you on, the, on your page? Well, it depends on which page you're on, but most likely. I mean, you're pretty ripped. I, I've been a power lifter for years. I started at like, at like 17 and I've kind of just went the whole way, you know, to till like 24, 25. And I, I don't do as much of that anymore. Because I, you know, I was like almost 220 pounds at that point, and I'm like 165 now. Because it's just that's kind of like no way to uh, no way to really live with as much as you got to eat. But like, yeah, I, I've been doing that forever, and I think honestly, that's probably one of my biggest secrets to mindset is I'm willing to go beat that number every day. And I think a lot of times when we're most competitive with ourselves, that's when we achieve. All right, I want to go into this a bit more then, because I suspected that if you're gonna if you're gonna share that with the world. In a business context, a lot of people, I mean, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, pretty successful in business, pretty successful in government, and that's how he got started. How does it fit in? Was, I mean, it's not, it's not going to be obvious to a lot of people. Is it fitness? Is it bodybuilding? What, what did you do and how does it connect with, why did you say it's so valuable? Um, I would say the one thing is you, you kind of learn like right off the bat, like that it does take time for the body to change. So you learn a little bit of patience. And you learn consistency as well, because like, you've got to be doing those same things over a period of time. And for me, I guess I'm a little bit different than a lot of people. I'm, I'm the weirdo that carries around the notebook and tracks everything I do in the gym. Mm-hmm. Like here, here's the thing. If I was supposed to get five on that set and I get four and then like maybe a quarter of another rep, well, I want to know about that quarter because you know what? It means I was close. You know, I was close to getting that rep. So I guess it's, it's also been a bit of motivation in it as well, because I see that, you know, things are achievable. You know what I mean? Like, like visualization for me was always big when I was going to do a big lift. Cause I felt like if I could picture it and I could put it there, I had a lot more of an ability to really get that lift done. You, you know what I mean? If you see yourself lifting it and because of that, I just, I, I feel like it just creates a stronger ability to achieve things. Cause you're like, okay, well, you know, I pulled an 80,000 pound army tank. I'm sure I can handle this sales call. I'm sorry. 
Did you just say I pulled an 80,000 pound army tank? I did, man. It's on, it's on my YouTube channel, actually. I, there was a uh, fundraiser about four years ago for the Wounded Warrior Project. And they put this, uh, this uh, M1 tank on the back of an 18-wheeler and you had to pull it 12 feet. And they kind of did the lowest body weight to, uh, to pull this thing, um, which surprisingly, I didn't win. Um, at that point, I was only 170 pounds, but I did pull 80,000 pound army tank. That's just what the tank weighs. I don't know what the 18 wheeler uh, weighed on the back of an 18 wheeler, 12 feet. That's something. So as soon as you hang up, I'm going to watch that video. (laughs) I mean, I'm thinking like I'm doing crazy stuff, eating orange peels. It's not a weird thing for you to do. That's a very impressive thing to do. Although just before that, what you're talking about, I think a lot of people look at bodybuilding as like, uh, a physical thing, but you're talking about motivation and you're talking about resilience. How much of lifting and fitness is physical versus emotional versus mental? I, I think the inner game is probably about 80% of it. It really is. Because the thing is, if you're, um, I'm not going to say all bodybuilders are the most athletically gifted people in the world because most of us aren't. You know what I mean? Like, I wasn't that great at a lot of sports, though. I was pretty good at baseball. You know, so it's like, I, I don't think it's as much physical as people think it is, you know, have the right diet, have the right lifting routine. But if you're not willing to, you know, push yourself past that point, if you're not willing to show up every day, if you're not willing to plan out what those workouts are going to look like, you're not going to get anywhere. So it, it's really about kind of having, you know, the body's just the, just the engine, man, just the engine, but you have to have the actual driver to tell that engine to move. And with, without you, and you having a strong inner game, it's not happening. And, and that's why I think people don't realize. That's why there's so many people that go to the gym all the time. And guess what, man? They all have a belly because they're not really willing to do the rest of it. Mm-hmm. This is sounding a lot like you said this was like your secret. So I feel like this is partly training you for your business success. And I think or business, the success is what comes. But what you put into it is this diligence and this discipline. And you're willing to do what other people don't. And then it feeds back probably to the lifting yeah, it's, it's, it's like the way of the Jedi, man. You have to have yourself trained, you know what I mean? Before you can really go out there and do things. If you can master yourself, you can do, do a lot more out there in the world, you know? What do you think about when you look at this? I don't know if, I, if, I'm, if, it, if I get myself in trouble or you in trouble, or, but this nation is like 80% overweight to obese. And what do you think about when you think of that? It's like, I feel like there's so much that potential that we're missing because of that of what you're talking about, about people who lift, but they still have bellies. And there's, I feel like it's missed potential for what they could have. I mean, I'm sure there's some people who prefer the way they are. Well, I, I think part of the problem with that though, Josh is like, you know, people are going to hate me for saying this, but I just, I feel like a lot of times we just want people to tell us that us not achieving or us not doing is okay. We're always looking for somebody to make an excuse. You know, if I can't do something, oh, I need to go talk to somebody to clear my head, or I need to go find this pill because it'll fix it. Or I need to get on this special diet because it'll handle the fact that it, you know, it all comes back to you, man. Like you, people have a lot more control over their own lives than they want to admit. But we are always looking for someone else to tell us it's not our fault or it's, or it's somebody, somebody else's responsibility. And it's really like if you, you have full responsibility for your own life. And I think that's just a symptom of the bigger problem that we're always looking for somebody to solve our own problems for us, not ourselves. And you know what I mean? Like, like if I get in an argument with somebody, right? And number one, I'm perpetuating that argument because I'm keeping it going. 
But number two, what did I say to them to motivate that argument? What did I do to them to motivate that argument? And I think a lot of times we don't think about how much responsibility we have on things. Like you could have an attitude in the way you say something and then you start an argument with somebody. Look at that. Or you could have taken more responsibility for something and that person may not have been angry with you. So it's just, I think it's just a a symptom of a wider problem. You know, we're always looking for, you know, a doctor to prescribe us something or we're always looking for somebody to tell us it's okay. And I think a lot of times it comes back to, to taking full responsibility for yourself and your life. I feel very, very similarly. And I feel like uh, now for someone who hasn't yet learned to take that responsibility, I think that they, they face, if I take the responsibility, then I, I'm responsible and things can go bad. Whereas if I don't, then I can act like it's someone else. And they might not think I'm abdicating the ability to do anything about it. I'm losing the ability to improve my life. But from their perspective, they might think there's a cost to taking responsibility. And what's the benefit? The benefit is, is really being able to change anything in your life. It really is. And being able to actually change anything in anybody else's life. Because let's look at a lot of like, let's, let's take somebody like Jeff Bezos, for example, right? He's taken more responsibility to create a lot of jobs, to create a massive business. He's also got a much bigger risk to fail because he's playing such a big game. Yeah. But because of that, he can actually change the world. He can actually change technology. And I think that's what a lot of us don't realize. Like, If we take full responsibility for every single thing in our lives, imagine the impact we can have because we're not giving somebody else that responsibility. We're not blaming it on somebody else. We're not saying, you know, why didn't you make that deadline? Well, maybe I didn't make it that deadline doable for you. Like give you maybe a checklist that would help you get to that deadline. Like how can you take full responsibility for everything around you, you know, without going crazy because you can get a little nuts with it. But it's kind of like taking full responsibility for your life and not blaming everything on somebody else around you. You, you can really like make some amazing things happen. Like if you look at a lot of these big CEOs, it's never somebody else's problem. You know, one of my favorite, uh, bi- I'm a huge biography reader. And one of the ones I just read is, um, is uh, David McCullough's biography of Harry Truman. Um, who was a guy I thought about very differently until I read that book. And I was like, wow, what an interesting guy. But he had that sign on his desk, the buck stops here. Everything stopped at the desk of the president. Whether he made that decision or not, he was responsible for that decision because you know what? He hired the person that was in the post. He selected the person for that cabinet position. So the buck stopped there. And whether he liked it or not, all that responsibility is going to come back on him. So he might as well look at it that way. So I just went on a rant on you there. (laughs) Not at all. And actually, I was just... Oh, this is gonna be hard to say without getting into, but do you listen to Hardcore History, the podcast? The- oh my gosh, I'm such a hardcore history nerd, dude. Oh man. Yeah, this, I, I was just on my way to visit uh, Daniel and see where we, where we first met in person. I was listening to him talking about Truman and uh, the the bombs. And did I read right that he cried when he uh, when FDR, when he became president? That I don't know. That I don't know. That was, you're talking about the Blueprint for Destruction, uh, Blueprint for Armageddon episodes, which are amazing. That I, that I don't know. But, you know, one of the crazy things is he didn't realize the way the atomic bomb plan was actually written that there were two bombs planned to be dropped. So he didn't realize the second one was being dropped based on something that FDR had actually written. And he goes, well, I'm president. I have to take responsibility for it. Though he didn't even know it was part of the plan until it was like, you know, time to do it. So responsibility is as much as I want to keep talking about Truman and, and uh, Dan Carlin and stuff like that. So responsibility is the ability to make a difference, to make amazing things happen, not just for yourself, but for lots of other people. And okay, that's a major reward. That's the difference between just taking what you get and being, you know, Jeff Bezos or your equivalent of it. Right, right. 
But it, it scares the crap out of some people, though, because you know what? You also can be responsible if everything goes wrong, right? Yeah, that's the thing I think most people think about. And for me, things like orange peels and like being willing to do what other people don't, and then that develops the skills. And then after orange peels comes more and more things. And then you can do things that other people don't. You can become Jeff Bezos or something like that. Well, it's a sliding scale though. That's kind of the biggest thing. It's like, like a lot of us are like, oh my gosh, I can't confront this, this massive thing, but okay. So you see, you kind of start small. Well, what can I confront? What can I handle? And you, you know what I mean? As you kind of take yourself up that scale, it's going to be a lot easier, you know? Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So now I'm going to switch topics. Well, this is probably not going to be a surprise with the podcast called Leadership in the Environment. Then I want to talk about the environment for a second, but keeping talking about if one takes responsibility, one can make amazing things happen. And is the environment something that something, I mean, you, you saw that in the title, you read the overview of it. Uh, mm-hmm. What does the environment mean to you? Um, I wouldn't consider myself to be somebody that's like, you know, it's always on my mind, but I do take responsibility for things around me. Like if I see trash out there, I'm going to pick it up. So I think a lot of times we, we tend to just make a mess and think it's somebody else's problem. Like, if I want to, if I want to be able to enjoy the outdoors or the environment or anything else, I have to take responsibility for that, don't I? And I think that's really important that we we do that as as part of it to to a point because it can get a little bit crazy to try and handle everything. But if you're trying to basically buy things from companies that source responsibly, things like that, but it, it just it gets difficult at the same time because it's just we have just have such a massive economy that it also, in terms of the everyday consumer, it can get expensive as heck too. It's interesting that because you, when you were talking in, in general about like uh, taking responsibility, you can make amaz- amazing things happen. And it's really hard to make those things happen. Bezos went for a long time of, I don't know how long they, it took for them to get profitable. And I don't know, you know, he gave up a very high paying job to, to start Amazon. Yeah, these things, it, it is really hard, but there's that benefit. And I'm curious if you are interested in taking on a challenge of, of where you would take responsibility for something that you're not already doing. Um, I'm always willing to take on a challenge, my friend. I'm never one to turn it down. So <laughs> All right. it sounds like the challenge is, it generally is its own reward. Yeah, no, it is because, because the thing is the personal growth on the way there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, actually that's a key element is, is that I'm not going to give you a challenge. What's important to me in, in this podcast, there's a couple of constraints I put on it. One is that you don't have to fix all the world's problems overnight yourself because a lot of people think if you're not fixing everything, they somehow think it's not worth trying to do anything. Or they think, you know, if you're not fixing like some giant industry that's bigger than what, you know, they think it's, if I can't do everything, I, I, they end up feeling like they shouldn't do anything. Another thing is that I don't make, it's, I don't come up with the, with the challenge. I ask the person if, at their option, if they do it, then to think of something that's important to them and to pick something that's by their values. And a challenge, just a challenge of like hitting your head against a brick wall, I don't think is going to lead to much personal growth. But if it's to act consistently with a value that you haven't been acting on, I think that's more value. That that is what leads makes a challenge worth it. No, I I think so because it's going to build that new skill or also build that new area of responsibility. Because you know the better you become at something, the more responsible you can become for it. Because the more knowledge you have on a subject and the more experience you have with a subject, the more responsibility you can take for it. 
Yeah, it's funny. So you said knowledge. I was about to say and experience, and you said experience. <laughs> is there anything that, when you think of the environment, of stuff that where you could make a difference or something that matters to you, is there anything that comes to mind? You know, it's not really something I've thought about. So it's something I'd really have to think about to give you a better answer on that. Well, do you want to think about it? I mean, like right now. <laughs> it, um. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't really know, man. Like, like what I could do better. You know, in that in that place. So I can tell you of the people on the podcast. There's some of them thought about it already, and but most of them have not. And so if you don't mind, if it's cool with you, let's talk a little bit about what, what you think about when you think about the environment. Is it what, because there's like different issues. There's global warming, but separate from that, there's pollution. Separate from that, there's resource, you know, depleting resources. There's extinctions. There's overpopulation and lots of different issues. Some people will agree with some and not others. Or some people won't think that their issues and, you know, not everyone agrees on these different things. Sure. Um, gosh, I don't know, man. Because I think that for people to hear, like you're very confident about the things that you've done in the past. And when we hear you say the challenges you went through, I think a lot of people don't get those challenges, like how hard it is. And right now your awareness in, in an area is, it sounds like you just haven't thought about it too much. And so- uh, Yeah, I haven't thought about it. So it becomes, it becomes difficult when you don't have the knowledge on something to make a decision on it. You, you know what I mean? Like, so for me, like if I'm going to take more responsibility for something, I need to have more knowledge on it, you know? That can be, in lots of cases, I think also one way to get the knowledge is by doing something. Yeah, absolutely. I bet that you know a lot more anatomy than like a lot of nurses or doctors because you're actually, you might not be studying it like them, but you're actually practicing it. Well, and I'm an experiential learner too. That's kind of a big, like a big, like, though I'm, you know, an academic by background, I'm very much an experiential learner and that's how I become good at things. So I, I'm pushing a little bit more than I prefer to, but let's get, I propose giving you an experience that gets you thinking about this stuff. And if it, it, it could be small, it could be, it does not have to be other people's values that measure how important this is. If it's something that you're not aware of, you not, haven't thought much of, that's your thing. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just don't really know, man, to be 100% honest with you, where I could, where I could take more responsibility for that. I'd, I'd have to look at the existing scene, see really where I could help more on it, because it's just not something I've ever really considered. Like, do I try to eat more grass-fed beef because I know it's better for the animal? Yeah. Do I try to, you know, we, we have a lot of pets because I know we're handling animals. We have a pet pig, for example. So it's kind of like I, I take responsibility for, you know, things that I can, but I've never really considered the wider, I guess, environment it's one of those things, like, I just never really stopped and thought about it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be the wider environment. It could be just something in your environment. It could be something in your home. There could be something in your daily practices. Yeah. Well, I think something I could get better with is uh, maybe electricity usage, um, like remembering to turn out lights and stuff like that. If that's something that comes to mind, then if that's something that would be a challenge for you that it, that's consistent with your values. Yeah. Because it's like, I do leave the lights on a lot and that's burning power and energy somewhere. So then would it be interesting to you to take on a personal challenge there and talk about it, how it went afterward? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Okay, cool. So uh, let's make it a smart goal. So measurable and some time. Is it something that you want to, how long do you think it will take you to, to take something on for, to, to feel like you've had a good experience? It's worth talking about. No, I seem like, I feel like that's a pretty simple one. Just remind yourself to do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Rather than leaving every light in the house on. Oh man, I've have interviewed a bunch of people on second and have had second interviews where they're like, how hard can it be? Uh, I, it, it's different for different people. And it can be, if you have a certain behavior that you never think twice about it, 
thinking twice about it can be insidious. It can be mm. really tough to catch on. Like, well, you know what? Here's an even better one. Here's an even better one. I use my cell phone way too much and that takes away an, an awareness of the environment. So I think I would, tr- if I could limit my cell phone usage by like, let's say 30 or 40%, that could be a big difference. So you're limiting the cell phone use in order to be more aware of the environment. Yeah, because you know, if you're, if you're got your face in a screen, you're definitely less aware. And for me, it's like, you know, like you always want to answer an email. You always want to answer that text. Like, so like you're kind of like itching to pull it out of your pocket. So, so that, that could be something. So the deliverable there would be, it would be more awareness of your environment. Yeah, but it's, it's kind of, I feel like that's also tough, tough to staticize as well. Yeah, what I was thinking of is, is maybe, uh, I'm, I'm stepping a little too much into like coming up with, with what it would be, but maybe the, it'd be, you'd have some sort of tracker that would show how much time you're spending on the phone. And oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Uh-huh. If I can use less cell phone data, it's going to show that I use my phone less. So does your phone tell you how much data you're using? Yeah, and it's probably way too much. <laughs> <laughs> I had I switched to unlimited this month because I actually went over my 20 gigs that I used last month. Oh yeah, because mine's unlimited and it uh, it doesn't tell me it, it, it. Like once I went to unlimited, it was uh, it just says you're unlimited. Yeah, no, it, it still tells you on the back end like how much data you're using. Like so if, you if we like, talk the next time, then I'd be curious, what results do you have about knowing more about your environment? That's what I'd probably want to ask about. Yeah, let's do it, man. Like if I could cut that, if I could cut that in half, because I really should be able to use about half the data I'm using, that would be interesting. Okay, cool. So let's make that your, if that's cool with you to make that your personal challenge. Yeah, if let's do it, man. It, you could also do the electrical turning off the lights and things that's, also. That's, that's a weak way out because I look at the phone thing and I'm like, yeah, that's actually something I use way too much of. Okay, because the turning off the lights is something that will reduce pollution more. It will reduce pollution more, but it's kind of like, you know what I mean? It's like something you can do really easily. I feel like that one's more of a challenge. And I like challenges. Ah, uh, you like the challenge part of it. Okay, then I'm really looking forward because cutting it down. So you know what your usage is now. And so the goal is to drop it by half. Yeah. All right. and then. I'm also, this is something I'm going to put in here is that I'm also going to ask you what was the result of your increased awareness and to, I'll probably suggest that now that you have an increased awareness, now you, the questions that was hard for you to answer of what, what other challenge you could take on. I might ask you if you want to take on another challenge now based on this increased awareness. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I've been doing this in the podcast is let's schedule when the next conversation would be how long do you think is this like a week a month six months a year a day give me a couple of weeks because i feel like that's going to be a tough one to tackle <laughs> okay so let's see today's the seventh so the 21st let's do it okay i'm looking at my calendar do you have your calendar out yeah i do so with the same time noon hold on one second it's loading a little slow um yeah let's do it noon okay, works cool. So noon on the 21st, I'll send you a calendar invitation so that we get the times up, right? And I'm, I'm hearing enthusiasm. Yeah, let's do it, man, because that's something that I do look at. And I'm, 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 as I said, I'm using way too much data. But that is like also kind of a, a wide sweeping thing that can, you know, you're using less server power. You're, so like it can be something that can, you know, change with yourself, which could make change with others. That's the goal. That's one of my big goals of this podcast is I think a lot of people, they think, oh, I'm going to do something better for the environment. And then they do something and it gets hard and they give up and they're like, oh, I, just, I guess I can't do anything. You right. don't sound like the type who acts that way. I like challenges, so no. And then I also think that when people hear 
how you handle it, there'll be a human aspect to it of like, it's different when they hear it in the moment versus something you did a long time ago. Yeah. All right. So then that'll be the challenge. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. Is there anything worth adding before wrapping up? No, I, I think that's pretty interesting, man. I've never, I've never had to, had to come up with something on the fly like that. So uh, you kind of made me think differently than I've had to on a show before. I hope I didn't push too far in a, in a kind of public setting. No, man. Okay, I'm great. an open book, my friend. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for allowing yourself to be vulnerable like that, even in front of all these people who are listening. Hey, man, that's what more of us could do, right? That's the goal. All right, so I will talk to you again in a couple of weeks and, and I'll talk to you then. All right, sounds great, Josh. Oh, actually, I gotta say, I, one thing that I, I'm gonna say this as a way of hopefully helping is that a lot of people, they don't anticipate what challenges come up. Like there may be a time when you're like, oh my God, I gotta download that thing. If I don't, I'm in trouble. And those challenges is they're hard to foresee, but that's, you know, that's like when you're doing that quarter rep, it's how do you handle that? How do you respond? How do you handle something that you, maybe you feel like you failed at some point, or maybe you didn't, you know, that kind of stuff. It's like, I'm saying it to you to prepare. Actually, I'm saying it to you, but I think you've, you've handled things like that before. So maybe I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you for something you've already prepared a lot for. You never know, man. It's always a new challenge. All right. I look forward to hearing about it and I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds great. Okay. Bye. I'm impressed with how Jeremy put his money where his mouth was. For whatever reason, he had very low awareness of environmental anything. So taking on a challenge, no matter the scale for him, seems like a big deal, no matter the scale from others' perspectives. Lower cell phone usage doesn't reduce power that much, but it does something. Actually, I learned that using cell phone causes a lot more power use on remote servers. So even though cell phones themselves might not use a lot of power, when you're downloading videos and getting them to play and so forth, you're causing a fair amount of power to be used at the remote server location. So cell phones, they've gained battery duration by offloading their power to remote servers. In any case, we'll hear in the second episode how Jeremy's challenge went. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse. And living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.